Grab your Bibles and turn to Psalm 46. We are going to be starting, I think, about a six-week, seven-week series called Psalms at Summer End. And the Psalms are such a good place for us to kind of come into and settle into as we get to the end of summer. And we're just kind of looking forward into the fall. And we're seeing some of those things that are getting back into motion. And these routines are kind of getting reestablished. And with that can come some sense of unsettledness and some wondering about, hey, I might be starting a new job or I got some situations that are arising this fall that are, that are leaving me you know, feeling a, a little um, on edge. And so we, we, want to, uh, we want to go into this series looking at some of these different psalms and some of the different ways that they speak into all kind of the, 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 the valleys and the details of our lives. And we're going to start this morning with Psalm 46. We're going to talk a little bit about change and what change means uh, in the life of the church and how it is that we are supposed to process change. Because what we see here in Psalm 46 is we see uh, David processing change and the changes that were happening around him on the outside and then inside and how they were affecting him. What surprises us is that although God doesn't change, and we know that intellectually, right? So we believe God's word. We believe that God is a God who doesn't change. We believe that. But what surprises us is that he allows changes to come kind of just barreling into our lives to to unseat us a little bit, even to unsettle us uh, a little or maybe even a lot. Um, And there's a reason why he does that. Right? So because God is good and because God is loving and because God doesn't do anything that's arbitrary in your life. He's not up there just flipping coins with the Holy Spirit deciding like what to do next. Right? Everything he does in your life, everything that unfolds in your life, no matter if it makes sense or not, there is some reasoning behind it because God is a God of reason. He's a rational God. And so the things that unfold in your life They're not just off the top of his head. They're not arbitrary. They're not coming out of something that that comes out of us when we do things to other people, which might be connected to any variety of, of emotions. God is unchanging, and he does things out of his goodness, out of his grace, out of his holiness, and he allows changes to come barreling into our lives. And he does it to allow us to see that we don't have control and that we can't keep ignoring him under the illusion that we do, right? Most of us are experiencing changes at any given moment. Right now, some of these changes are so massive that they can lead us into some dark places. They can lead us into questioning our faith. They can lead us into thinking, man, I don't know about the church. I don't know about this community. It makes me question the the genuineness of it even, right? Maybe changes have come into your life to such a degree that they've just caused you to doubt if God is actually there. Or if he is there, does he even care? Without realizing that God causes changes to occur for just the opposite reason. What's hard to comprehend is that it's God's grace to us when he allows these seismic shifts to occur in our lives. Otherwise, we would be blind to how near he was both before and after the change occurs, right? 
Maybe you've received some sudden information over the past month or six months or a year that, that just changed everything for you. Or you are anticipating something on the horizon that you already know is going to be the hardest thing in the world for you to go through. Something has happened and suddenly your life will never be the same again. You might be somebody who says, well, I thrive on change. It's just the opposite, Ronnie. Like, I just want things to happen. I just, I just need stuff to constantly be turning and changing for me. Unfortunately, even that puts us in the same place as somebody who is very fearful and pushed back against change. Because at the end of the day, it comes back to who is in control of your life? Is it you or is it the one who created your life? Your expectations of what you thought life would be have been disrupted and they will constantly be disrupted. Change is complex. So as I was processing this uh, about 15 minutes before we left for church, Melissa goes, hey, I have some thoughts on change. I said, probably not a great time. Probably not a great time. So we had like a 12-minute, incredibly in-depth conversation about all these different changes. And I said, well, I think I missed a lot. I said, but unfortunately, I have this much time to go back and add some of these things. So I said, this is what I'm going to say. Change is complex. There's all kinds of different ways we receive changes. There's some changes that we, we look to have and hope to have, right? I mean, the center of the gospel is that God comes into our lives to change our lives, to restore our lives, to redeem our lives. That's called change. That's good change. All of us want good change in our lives. What's hard is managing all of the change, right? That's what's so difficult for us to do. So we took this vacation, and like any vacation, you, you just hope it's going to go good, you know? And, for now, and right now, especially if you're hopping on a plane, you're just hoping, man, the plane will take off on time now because everything's all haywire with all that. And so our plane got there on time, spent a few days with family, and we finally got to this point about a week in where we were going to sort of take off and go up north to the central coast of California and spend a couple of weeks, uh, just the two of us, and so we're all raring to go. We get there and uh, we spend our first night in the place we're staying. Everything's awesome. We're like super positive. We're like happy. We're eating Mexican food. It's like all happening for us, right? We wake up the next morning and Melissa has COVID, right? Just like that. And we just went, oh, well, that's an interesting development. I wonder if it'd be one of these quick ones where you get over it in a couple days. 11 days later, She's feeling a little bit better. And we start getting back to normal. And we just thought, well, Lord, you're doing something here. We did not plan for this to be the COVID vacation, but you're doing something here. And we got to trust that you're in it with us. That's kind of the effect that change has on us. It's unexpected and it throws us into a bit of a tailspin. And that's what we're going to see here in Psalm 46. Now, these are what the Psalms are. Generally speaking, especially ones that David wrote, they are like a diary into David's life. It's the place where he just sang his heart out to God. And by the way, he didn't try to be polite. One of the beautiful things about the Psalms, and I've said this before, but it's worth re-saying, is that the Psalms tell us that we can go before the Lord just with blood honesty. And that's what we see in the psalmist. That's what we always see with David. He just goes before the Lord and he says, hey, this is where I'm at. This is what's going on. 
trusting that the Lord was big enough, gracious, good, and loving enough to receive all that junk. And that's how he is with you too. And that's how he is with me too. We don't have to be so polite. We're in good company in that. Especially as we look to Psalm 46, we see how David processes the changes happening around him. So let's dive in. 46 verse 1. I'm going to pick up right now. And it says this. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, and though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. For say, come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The first thing we see as we look at Psalm 46 in just all of these cataclysmic outer and both internal changes that we see David writing from the position of is we see that God is near. We're locked in right off the bat to God's presence. It's like he gives a summary statement, David does, in verse 1 at the very beginning of this song. Almost like starting a song with a chorus instead of a verse. And it's this central theme, right? God is our refuge. God is our strength. He's our present help in trouble. And the changes that trouble brings you and brings me. When you see the word refuge here, think of it like this. Think of it like a cliff or a, a lofty place, a high place, like something that can't be accessed or reached. Now, for David, this would have been a safe haven for him. This would have been the place where his enemies were in pursuit, but they couldn't reach him. So that's how David is thinking of God's nearness to him. What David knew was that in these moments, there was, there was no safer place than God. Now think about David as being this king and having all these resources and having all these men, having all these weapons, having all these strategies. And think about where David goes in a psalm like this. He's saying, God, I need you to be the safe place. Because I do got, I have those mighty men that you gave me. I got all this skill, I got all this strategy, and actually you gave me that too. But ultimately what David is saying is, I need you. I need your presence to be the safe haven in my life. David knew there was no safer place than God. And we experience that too. Do you experience that? Maybe it's a job or you have a friendship Maybe a marriage, a church, a life. Things we thought were foolproof often prove otherwise. 
And suddenly those things become unsafe for us. I mean, COVID just amplified that. I mean, it just amplified it. In one minute, everything changes. I can't go to work. I can't go to school. I can't go to church. I can't go literally anywhere. Maybe I've gotten really sick. Maybe I have a friend or family member who hasn't survived. I'm at risk. Everybody's at risk. COVID upset the balance of life and society for us. And some of us, man, we fought back hard against that loss of control because we don't like things we think are foolproof that prove to be otherwise. That doesn't sit with us, right? We don't like things that are foolproof and that we think that are foolproof prove to be otherwise. We don't like thinking that there is infiltration into our lives. We like to think that we are safe and that we are surrounded by things that have been constructed by society that actually keep us safe. And we do have some of those things, right? We do have some of those things that keep us safe. I got a lock on my door and I do this every night, click. Not because I don't want any of you to show up and not that I think any of you are gonna show up and do something bad, it'll just scare me so bad. If you show up and walk through the door, it's not gonna be a good thing, right? But we don't like to think that we can be broken into right? It's kind of like when you watch those Mission Impossible movies. One of the things the team always attempts and miraculously succeeds at, or we wouldn't want to watch it, right, is they they break inside these near impenetrable, high security, government controlled areas that are built to be impossible to get into without getting caught. But the team, they, they manage to do it. Somehow, Maverick manages to squeak in every time, right? Things we thought were foolproof aren't so much. But notice where David goes. He said, God is present. Things aren't foolproof, which is why I need a refuge. And what that refuge means to me is that God is present. When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, David says in Psalm 23, you are near. And then he goes to dramatic lengths to show us just what kind of refuge and strength God is. Because God is near, but he is near though, it tells us in verse two through five, nature rages. Therefore we will not fear though the earth gives way, the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Even if the earth comes undone, even if mountains get engulfed by the oceans and there are all these cataclysmic disasters, and there are, Here David says, because we fear God, we don't have to fear those things. We also don't have to fear his wrath or the undoing of his creation or all the unsteadiness that surrounds us. Our help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth, Psalm 121. And then we think about our future earth, the one we're currently living in that God is making new that allows us to not live in fear over the current one. Now, the great fear in the ancient cities where David lived was that the water supply would be cut off. But David reminds us here of our future in another city, in the city that we are longing for, in the city that we are expecting and anticipating, the city of God, where we find unending streams 
of living water, to refresh and replenish us. We find a place where God in his holiness dwells. We can anticipate a future country where God leads us at first light when morning dawns. Don't you love the imagery there? Don't you love that in his angst, David is presenting us with a, just a beautiful and a hopeful picture? Martin Luther said, if we perish, Christ must fall too. In other words, because Christ is alive and is with us, what can his own creation do to unravel that reality? It lacks logic. And what that does is it allows us to look at our circumstances in such a different light. Whatever the world dishes out to us, we can say, what can flesh do to me? What can man do to me? You have kept count of my tossings. You have put my tears in your bottle. You have delivered my soul from death and my feet from falling. Whatever rages around us, God is redeeming in us. God is near, David tells us, though nature Rages. He is also near, though the nations rage. Verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. All the kingdoms of the world who seek after power, who seek after real estate, David reminds us that they melt under the voice of the Lord. They fall under his greatness and his power. The world is not a fortress. God is a fortress for those of us in the world who look to him. As he spoke the world into existence, he can just as easily speak it into oblivion. That's the person who loves us and who's, who is redeeming us. See how he works, David says, in verse 8, he has brought to desolation those things that were thought of as being powerful. Makes us think we gotta, we got to realign what we think about the world that we look out on and we make and we, we have preconceived notions about. Wars end because he's in control by the means by which they are fought. The world is like a chessboard in the hands of God, which would be incredibly scary if we didn't trust his heart, because he moves and he controls all the pieces. He controls all the plans of the people by his will. There are no arbitrary actions. Even when from our vantage point, it looks like chaos. Then he reminds us that the Lord will still those that stir against him. He will still them. See that, that verse, we say, be still, and we, we kind of, we coffee mug that verse. And we think, ah, oh, I need to be still. I need to just be tranquil. And, and we do. But this verse really is spoken from the vantage point of God who is saying, be stilled. He's saying, be stilled. He's saying, be stilled. I don't know if you've tried stilling yourself. I tried stilling myself on vacation. I mean, I had my moments. Didn't go great. I need to be stilled. I need the spirit to work inside of me in such a way that my gaze stops popping all over every place and becomes fixed above on Christ, the solid rock, right? 
We remember Mark 4 when Jesus was traveling with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee and they had this crazy storm break out, this life-threatening storm. Um, And with a word, what did he do? He stilled it. He said, peace, be still. And the whole thing just flattens. All the storming done, the water like glass. And then he says this, he says, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And by the way, after he said that, they were still afraid and they still didn't have faith. And you know what he did with them? He brought them to shore. And that's a picture of Christ in your life as somebody who is having a hard time being stilled because of all the changes that might be happening in your life. Mark 4 tells us the disciples were filled with fear and said, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So David isn't saying, hey, calm yourself, chill out, take another yoga class, right? Get acquainted with God in the process. He's saying, God will still you. And when this happens, you will believe God. You will experience God. The disciples being saved from the storm in Mark 4, that was secondary to them being saved from their unbelief. Amen? They had built up the wrong fear. When we fear God, we experience his love, which is what casts out our earthly fears. And because this is true, it means Christians should have an intriguing calmness and confidence when we look at the state of the world and the state of our nation. As the nation rages around us, we know God is renewing all things. Well, Ronnie, I don't see that. It's like, it's just, it's haywire out there. I know, I don't, I don't see it either. But we know that God is renewing all things. And it's that thought, not the moves that are made in Washington, that gives us peace. And this causes us to be discerning because we know that whoever comes into power in the world, whatever good or bad laws come into existence, whatever wars are waged, whatever kind of immorality becomes commonplace in our society, by the way, the world being the world, we know that our help comes from the one who spoke light into existence and calmed the raging sea with three words. He is not so far from us after all, is what David is telling us. Isn't that such good hope this morning? So what do we need to do with this? What do we need to take into consideration as we process the changes that are occurring in our lives? I have three things. The first one is this. Our confidence comes from knowing whose side we're on. Our confidence comes from knowing whose side we're on. We think that the worst thing that can happen to us is have our confidence shaken, right? But God likes to shake it. Oh man, he likes to shake your confidence. He wants to reroute it. So we ask this question, what is at the heart of our greatest fears when we think about changing worlds, right? Discomfort, yeah. Loss of control, yeah. A way of life that we enjoy, yeah. 
Does the news of the world, does it leave you constantly upset and unsettled? Are you one of these people that's just walking around just in a constant sort of like haze of agitation? Because the things that people are doing in power just aren't lining up with where you're at? Sometimes it's frustrating. Sometimes it's agitating. But we are not called to be a people that settles on those things and then lets those things leave us unsettled. We have another path. We have another way. What David reminds us of is that we don't need to construct silly reinforcements when changes come. One of the problems with living in a place where not a lot of change happens is that when change does come, it can exaggerate the truth. And then we go into sort of a spiritual isolation sometimes where we scramble for backup plans. We make knee-jerk maneuvers instead of sometimes letting ourselves wait and going to wise and godly people who encourage and remind us that God, God isn't sending us out of office replies, right, when we call upon him. He is there. He is working. What the psalmist is aiming at here is that God will remain with his people in the midst of trouble. Romans 8 poses this question, what can separate you? from the love of Christ? Is there anything in creation that has the power to keep you from your creator? And the answer, of course, is that in Jesus, God provided a true, solid, firm refuge, a true strength, a true help in trouble. Because Jesus descended to the earth and endured the trouble that culminated on the cross, we don't have to react in rage when the world isn't cooperating with us. We have overcome the world, not because somebody has fixed the economy, but because Jesus overcame the economy of our souls on the cross. Let this psalm give you good comfort this morning. Secondly, our comfort comes from remembering the city being prepared for us. What David was looking forward to was something that gets unpacked for us in Revelation 22 when it says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb throughout the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. We remember the truer, the greater country, the truer, the greater city, the truer and greater kingdom where God will dwell forever and we will dwell with him, a place where earthly kings and kingdoms are stripped of their power. They don't have any destructive influence any longer. Jesus said, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and out of his heart will what? Flow rivers of living water. And what he means is that we have the spirit to comfort us in our distress with solid hope, with firm faith, and remind us that God will not be slack in his promise because he is preparing a place for us. Man, sometimes we don't realize we're thirsty until we get a sip of water and we realize how dehydrated we are. And all of us are spiritually hydrated until the Holy Spirit quenches that spiritual thirst. So what do we do? We return to the source. We constantly return to Jesus. 
Jesus is the river who makes glad the city of God. That's what David is driving at. Where Jesus is, God is. And we have such great comfort knowing that because he rose from the grave, he is preparing that place for his redeemed people. He is preparing a place for us to be in the place where God is forever. This helps us. This helps us so much when we feel like changes are going to claim victory over us. Jesus overcame the world, and though we have trouble in it, the world has no power over the one who is in us. And then finally, our courage comes from knowing that God will never be defeated. Ronnie, this feels like a Sunday school class. It is. God will never be defeated. We can be courageously still because of that truth. God sent Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. It's in Jesus that we have somebody who is unfailing and is our true fortress against anything that the world can, by the way, temporarily inflict on us. It's through Jesus that God is exalted among the nations. It is through Jesus that God is exalted in the earth. God's work in this world, because you're the church and because you have been redeemed and because God is continuing that redemptive process, God's work is always redemptive in you. He will destroy the things that destroy. They will all be stilled someday and know that he is God, which is why we can be still today. And it's this revelation that should still us. It should give us great courage. God doesn't shift in size according to how big you decide to make him today. But our perspective is so skewed like that, and it strips our courage away. The less we see who God really is, the more we enlarge ourselves. And when we enlarge ourselves, we begin to see our problems as larger than God, which is so interesting, isn't it? You ever have those moments when you, you think you look a certain way? You have a particular image of yourself, and you think, this is the guy I am. I got something fixed in my mind. And then Tim Black posts a photo on Instagram. <laughs> and you go... That, I must be looking at somebody else right now. And then your wife says, nope, that would be you. That's who we're looking at. What upsets you is that the picture doesn't lie. That's what's upsetting, right? But it allows us to realize that we've exaggerated our perspective on how we think we look versus how we actually look. And we do that with God when we stop looking at him. One of the things I love to do is in the summer when it's nice, I love to just lay out a blanket on the grass and just lay down and just look at the sky. And I don't know what it does, but I'll, I'll lay there and I'll pray. And it just gives me such a perspective of, of the, just the bigness. I don't know if that's a word, but the bigness of God. It puts me in my place. It reminds me I'm just this tiny little thing. You like how I describe myself? Um, on a blanket, on the grass. And it does something when I look up and I shift my perspective. There's something about being under such vastness that refreshes my understanding of God. It helps to settle me and, and, to, and to still me. It reminds me and encourages me that all these unsettling things do not unsettle what God has purposed to happen before the foundation of the world. My job, my future, my tragedies, my changes, they won't prevail doesn't mean we don't find ourselves in valleys. We just sang about that. 
or under persecution. It doesn't mean that we don't weep for justice. It doesn't mean that we don't have godly sorrow and outrage for the things that grieve the very heart of God. It, it doesn't mean that we don't look up to God in confusion and wonder and anger and grief and cry out to him and say, what's up? It means that we do. It means that we do do that. And it means that we never have to lose hope because in Christ, God has planned a hopeful future for all those who trust in his son. It's because of Christ that we can have confidence and comfort and courage. I think it might be helpful for us to ask ourselves this question. And it's this, why, why does God need to be great? And if he really is great, how does that reality change how I live and how I breathe? We sing songs like, how great thou art. But I think what we try to do is, is we try to plan and organize our lives to make sure we never have to see his greatness on display. Think about that. If God is so great and changes come into your life that eventually allow you to see God as he really is and to see how near God is to you, then doesn't that change how we look at the events transpiring in our lives, knowing who's behind it all? Doesn't it change knowing that it might be because of these things that we finally get to see the reason why God is great and needs to be at the greatest level and place in our lives? We need to re be reminded of God's greatness because when we face great changes and those changes result in great fear, we need to know there's somebody greater. Charles Spurgeon said, with God on our side, how irrational is fear. And yet, this is not one of those messages that say, stop being fearful. Scripture says, fear not, knowing that we are going to fear. And then it gives us the person that contains our fears and holds us closely, even as fearful women and men. Nothing unfolds in this world that doesn't have a part in God's script toward the redemptive work he completed with Christ. So any freak out by the church that says life is going to hell in a handbasket is an opinion that scripture does not hold. On the contrary, the Bible describes Christ as a fortress to be our confidence and our comfort and our courage in the midst of troubling changes. When the balances are tipped and fear of the future grips you and it sends you into a tailspin, you have a person to be stilled by. So you lift your eyes up to the Lord and you remember where your help comes from. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are our help and through Christ we have not only a firm foundation, but we have a person who understands the fears and the anxieties we face through changes. Thank you for these gracious words. I pray that they help us that they fill us with hope, that they cause us to go before you in deep prayer, laying 
our fears before you, laying our anxieties and worries before you, laying the areas that we have no trust in you before you, knowing that you are going to scoop us up in your arms, that you have ears to listen, you have eyes of love and grace that will look at us and beckon us near to you. God, help us to remember that as we are your people, your church, a redeemed gospel people who look to the hills to remember where their help comes from. As we look forward to the day when we will be with you and there will be no more crying, no more tears, no more mourning. We look forward to that. We look forward to singing about that now. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.